The American Civil War, 1861 to 1865, was a bloodbath. 620,000 people, give or take a few, were killed during that war. Another 100, 200, 300,000 people were seriously injured or maimed from the war. And I know that if you listen to people, that there's several reasons why that happened. A state's rights issue, uh, business financial issues. But I believe my history is right to say slavery was at the heart of it. There was a sin issue in our country that was not handled properly, and it led to disaster. We're in Judges 20 this evening. Judges 20, and I was asked before the service, was this one going to be rated a little bit nicer than last week? I think so, but it is kind of a continuation, a result of last week. If you were here last week, this will be a reminder if you weren't. Last week we saw a priest, uh, his concubine, which was a legal wife, uh, they were in Gibeah, a town uh, in the, the, uh, the territory of the Benjaminites, and men surrounded the house at night, and they wanted to rape the priest, homosexual rape. He was such a brave, strong man, he pushed his concubine outside where she was repeatedly raped all night, and she was eventually, she died from it, she was murdered, and then he took her body and he cut it up into 12 pieces and he sent it to the 12 tribes of Israel to obviously with a note or a letter of saying what happened and asking them to uh, respond to this. We pick up the story in chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 this evening. It says, then all of the Israelites from Dan to Beersheba, now that's a way of saying from the, the farthest northern point to the, the farthest southern point. In other words, the whole country and from the land of Gilead came out as one man and assembled before the Lord in Mizpah. Mizpah is about seven miles north of Jerusalem. Interestingly, it's about four miles from Gibeah, so it's not very far at all from the scene of the crime. The leaders of all the people the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly of the people of God. Listen, 400,000 soldiers armed with swords. That's a lot of folks. <clears throat> My belief is if 400,000 soldiers are four miles away from you, you can hear them. You know there's something going on. The Benjamites heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. Then the Israelites said, tell us this awful thing that had happened. So here we begin the story. And I want to begin with this big thought. Handle things properly. In your life, handle things properly. Handle your kids properly. Handle your marriage properly. Handle your business and things that work properly. A church is meant to be run a certain way. It's meant to be run properly. At school or your sports team, it is absolutely crucial that you and I understand God principles and that we do life properly. Let me give you some proper ways to handle whatever situation it is you're facing tonight. Number one, Take responsibility. Boy, isn't that a novel idea in our world today? And that's exactly what was lacking in this story. In chapter 19, verse 25, it says, The men who would not listen to him 
So the, the man, the Levite, took his concubine and sent her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. Here's the first part of responsibility. Here's this man, this priest, this, quote, man of God. And, and when the, the bad people come, to a, they're, they're wanting to attack him. Here's what he does. <clears throat> he throws his wife outside to him. What a loser, amen? I mean, you're talking about a negation of everything right in a marriage and leadership and responsibility. He shows it. But he continues it in chapter 20, verse 4 through 7. The Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, said, I and my concubine came to Gibeah and Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. He talks a lot about I, me, and my in this, you notice. They raped my concubine, and she died. I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance, to the 12 areas of, the, of Israel, because they committed this lewd and disgraceful act in Israel. Now, all you Israelites, speak up and give your verdict. Hey, he's right on a lot of things here, but he never takes any responsibility for what he did or what he didn't do. And that's a horrible thing, in my opinion, because this guy's guilty of a crime. This guy, at the very worst, was a horrible God follower, but I believe he's guilty of a crime. The lack of responsibility uh, continues in this story. Verse 8 through 13, all the people rose as one man, saying, none of us will go home. No, not one of us will return to his house. But now this is what we'll do to Gibeah. We will go against it as the lot directs. We'll take ten men out of every hundred from all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred from a thousand, a thousand from ten thousand, to get provisions for the army. Then when the army arrives at Gibeah and Benjamin, it can give them what they deserve for all this vileness done in Israel. Verse 11, so all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what about this awful crime that was committed? They're giving them a chance to make some things right. Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah. Surrender the the criminals so we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. Listen, this was rape. This was murder. This was a death penalty crime. Probably, let's say, 15, maybe 20 men were guilty. And, and, And the people in Benjamin would not even take responsibility for the horrible acts of their their brothers, of their relatives, of their kinsmen. This whole story, one thing that just yells out here is a lack of taking responsibility. You know what? That's true in our world today, isn't it? I want to challenge you to be different. I want to challenge you to take responsibility in your life. You know you will not go to heaven. You cannot become a Christian until you take responsibility. You have to say to God, my wife's a sinner. Forgive her, right? You have to say, God, my kids are terrible. Forgive them. I want you to be my... You have to say, I'm a sinner. You have to bow your knee. You have to confess Jesus as your Lord. You have to take responsibility. As a Christian, you can't grow up in Jesus until you start taking responsibility. You know, confession of sin again daily for a Christian. You know what that is? That's taking responsibility for my sin. That's not not that mumbling prayer, God, forgive me if I have sinned. (laughs) God, forgive us for our sin. Don't you like? 
like that when people say that. You want to interrupt them and say, hey, keep that to yourself, right? <laughs> Take responsibility for your own sin. See, growth in the Christian life comes down to you taking responsibility. But, but think of everything else. What are you not owning tonight? And I, I'm not asking you or telling you or suggesting you. You need to take responsibility for other people's sins and wrongs because you don't. But you need to take it for your own. You, you need to own the junk in your life. Two, two great leaders from the past, Winston Churchill. Winston was the cigar-smoking British leader during World War II. Norman Schwarzkopf was a great leader of America during the uh, Gulf War, 1991. Both of these men... Uh, I, I have read where they talk about what is a leader, what is a great person. Both of them said leadership and greatness starts with responsibility. It's not about power. It's not about look at me. It's not about the benefits I get from it. It's that I take responsibility. That's what God wants you to do. You remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? I was barely old enough to remember him. He was a really, he was a funny comedian. And Flip Wilson was famous for this line, the devil made me do it. You remember that? The devil made me do it. Listen, the devil tempts, the devil pulls, the devil's horrible. The devil's never made you do anything. Are you owning the junk in your life? Are, are you taking responsibility for where you are? That's the, that, listen, that's the first thing to handling things properly. Is quit blaming, quit pointing fingers, and take responsibility. Here's the second thing. Handle things as privately as possible. When, when there's problems, when there's issues, and privately as possible, maybe be between two people, it may be between 50, but it was not handled privately here well at all. In chapter 19, verse 29, this horrible verse, he reached home, he took a knife, and he cut up his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them to all the areas of Israel. I tell you, this guy, if anything, he was flamboyant, wasn't he? What should he have done? Well, he should have, obviously, he shouldn't have pushed her out there to begin with. But after this was happened, he probably needed to get out of that town but he needed to get the leaders from the other tribes together. He needed to get those leaders to go and talk uh, to the leaders of the tribe of Benjamin. Maybe it would have turned out different if 12 or 15 people would have shown up instead of 400,000 people. Maybe it would have turned out different instead of sending body parts to the tribes if he would have sent messengers with a letter. Obviously, a letter was with uh, those body parts. Everything he did inflamed the situation. Whatever your problem is, it may have to go nuclear. It may have to go public. But that's not where you want to start, if at all possible. I remember years ago, and this was not in Ruston, talking with some people, and I've heard this often, and I'm sure Brandon's heard this a thousand times, where couples, one way they fight, they get mad at each other, and they'll say stuff like, I'm going to go tell everybody everything you've ever done. I'm going to broadcast your sins everywhere. And a lot of times later, they'll say, well, I didn't really mean that. I was just mad. But you know, the tenth time they say that, that begins to become old. Hey, you need to make things right. But if your goal is to humiliate people, that's not justice. And one of the things that caused this situation to go so bad so quick was there was a desire just to completely blast the situation, horrible situation, to make it a nuclear situation. 
And when you throw, when you throw the people or you throw that person or the situation out to the public, a.k.a. Facebook, <laughs> uh, Instagram, whatever you do, tweeting, you know what? It's out there then, isn't it? It's out there for the world to see. And it's awful hard to reel it in once it's out there. In fact, a lot of times it's just impossible to do it. You know, we try to tell people, young people who are getting married, and this would apply to a boyfriend or girlfriend, it applies to friends, and it applies to the people you work with. When you're mad at them and you go to other people and you talk about how terrible they are, you may make up with that person the next day. Your, your mom or dad or your friends probably don't get the opportunity to do that, do they? And so, therefore, you've got a, an awkward situation because you talked too much, because you threw things out there. How things might have been differently if this guy would have handled it or tried to handle it, first of all, as privately as possible. Do you want justice or you want humiliation? Do you want rightness or, or do you want to look like a hero? Handle it as privately as possible. Here's the third thing. Handle it as quickly as possible. You see, this thing festered. You know, the difference in the world today and then is, is, is just so enormous. Obviously, if you've watched the news today, a horrible thing happened in Virginia this morning. Two news people were killed. Uh, and, and you know what? We knew about that probably within 10 minutes of it happening. Now, back in this story, in this age, uh, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have text message. So things traveled slower. But I want to tell you, this situation festered. This situation was not handled not only privately, but it was not handled quickly. Why do you think that if that situation in your marriage or that situation at work or a situation with your family or friends, why do you think if you just ignore it that it's going to get better? Now, certainly... Sometimes we don't need to say anything and we ought to let it go. I'm not saying that. But, but sometimes we delay and delay and delay, and all we do is create a worse problem. It's like having a cut on your arm, and instead of putting some hydrogen peroxide on it or getting a shot and getting it cleaned up, you let it go, and a month later you have to get your arm amputated, and then two months later they're burying you because a, a simple cut gets infected. It can kill you. The quicker it's dealt with, the better it'll be. How many of you honestly have a problem? That problem I mentioned just a second ago of thinking sometimes, if you just ignore it, it'll go away. Because normal, healthy people don't enjoy confrontation. I I think that's true. You know, there's there's at least two things in life that don't go away, even if you ignore them. That's a dirty diaper and a flat tire, correct? In fact, I submit to you, as someone who had to buy a new tire today, they only get worse. And as someone who has dirty diapers put in my garbage can in the house from time to time, it doesn't get better, does it? Whatever it is you're facing or you're going to face, handle it as quickly as possible. Here's a fourth thing. When God's Word is clear, handle it clearly God's way. When, When the Bible... When the Bible speaks directly to your situation, you, you may need to pray for the courage to do it, but you don't have to pray whether you should do it. You don't need to pray to God to get out of an affair or to quit cheating people at work or to quit 
cussing out the guy at Whataburger because he put cheese on your burger instead of being cheeseless. By the way, anybody who's saved eats cheese on their burgers. We know that. Anyway, verse 13, it says, Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah, so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. Listen, the law in the Old Testament was clear. The penalty for rape, the penalty for murder was death. What they did was a capital punishment crime and, and, and if you're against capital punishment, that's fine. They should have at least taken these guys and stuck them in a cave for the rest of their life. What they did, deserve, well, according to the Old Testament law, it was, it was a death penalty crime. They needed to be turned over. They needed to be dealt with. Hopefully got their lives right with God. And, and it would have been done. That's not what happened. Here's what they did. Here's what we do. We'll choose patriotism. We'll choose our friendships. We'll choose our bloodline over the Word of God. Instead of doing what the Bible says, we'll side with a buddy. Instead of doing what the Bible says, we'll do what we feel is right. Instead of doing what the Bible says, we'll go along with the group. But I want to tell you, in your situation, whatever it is, When you find what the Bible says, you obey it. You go, well, the Bible's not clear on my situation. Let me give you some things that will tell you no matter what situation. You handle it lovingly. Jesus threw people out of the temple, but he did it the proper way, didn't he? You handle things in truth. In other words, you're above board. You're honest. You handle things in faith. You trust God through the process. And you handle it in courage. But a lot of times, again, we know what the Bible says to do about our sin. We know what the Bible says to do about our marriage. We know what the Bible says to do about that work problem or our finances. We just don't do it. And I want to ask you a real simple question. Do you really think that your situation is going to get better if you're living disobediently to the Word of God? The answer to that is what? No, it's not. Handle whatever you're facing. Handle whatever you're going to be facing properly. Now, here's the second part of this. If you don't handle it properly, disaster can happen. No question about that. I put the word can there because sometimes God's grace or mercy, we, we don't feel the wrath of it immediately. We will feel it eventually. And sometimes people may sit in church and go, well, you know, preacher, I've done this or that and didn't handle it right and it turned out okay. Okay, roll the dice, it'll happen again. In chapter 20, verse 14 through 16, it says, From their towns they came together at Gibeah to fight against the Israelites. The Israelites are the Jewish people. The people from Benjamin are Jewish people. This is a civil war. At once, the Benjaminites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their towns, in addition to 700 chosen men from those living in Gibeah. Among all these soldiers, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, each whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Did you read that? Now, 
Earlier in the book of Judges, it talks about these Benjaminites being left-handed. A lot of scholars think they were ambidextrous, that when they were little, one of the ways they trained them for warfare is they'd tie their right hand to their body, and they would teach them how to use a sling or a spear with their left hand. You say, what's the advantage of that? If you've ever been in sports, you know there's an advantage. A left-handed boxer has an advantage. Uh, and karate, a left-handed fighter, has an advantage. Uh, plus, if they are ambidextrous, they can use both hands equally well. That's a switch hitter in baseball, somebody who can get up to bat right-handed or left-handed. It's a very valuable person. And so these guys were either left-handed or ambidextrous. I believe probably most of them were ambidextrous. And they were tremendous warriors. Now, a sling in this day was not like you and I pulled back and let go. It was like David and Goliath. David used, it was two straps of leather, and there's a piece of leather here in the middle. And they would put a rock. These rocks are probably about the size of a baseball, but they're even harder than a baseball. And a master slinger would get this thing, he would swing it, and then he would let go of one of the, the straps. And he could get that thing going about 100 miles an hour by the time it was released. And it says here in the Bible, I'm not making this up, that they could hit a hare with a rock. I don't know about you, but if somebody's throwing a baseball 100 miles an hour at my head and I don't have a batting helmet on, that's not good, is it? That these guys were bad dudes. Now, you're going to see in a moment, too, the effectiveness of this. They're fighting. For, they've got the high, the high advantage. They've got the hills, and they're fighting uh, the Israelites. There's 26, 27,000 Benjaminites and 400,000 Israelites. But the Benjaminites are really, really good soldiers, and we're going to see that as this, this begins. In verse 17, Israel, apart from Benjamin, this is their enemy now, mustered 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fighting. The fighting begins in verse 21. The Benjaminites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. Did you hear that? The Benjamin tribe, who are the bad guys in this story, first day of fighting, killed 22,000 Israelites. Obviously, that's not good if you are for the Israelites. Verse 24 and 25, day two of the fighting, the Israelites draw near to Benjamin the second day. This time when the Benjaminites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Two days of battle, 40,000 of the Israelites are dead. Probably about 100 from the tribe of Benjamin. This is terrible, isn't it? What a disaster. But it's going to go bad for everybody in just a second. Verse 35, we jump to the third day. This day the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And on that day the Israelites struck down 25,100 Benjamites, all armed with swords. First two days, the good guys in the story lost 40,000. The bad guys lost 100. The third day, the bad guys lost almost their whole army. In fact, they're going to lose everything. Verse 47 and 48. But 600 men turned and fled, these Benjaminites, into the desert to the rock of Remian where they stayed four months. The men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns they came across, they set on fire. How many of you would agree not handling things properly did not work out good for these folks. My goodness. Basically, the tribe of Benjamin is just, just almost wiped out. 
Nobody would take responsibility. It wasn't handled privately. It was just thrown out in the middle of everybody right from the beginning. That's always terrible and hard to sort through. It wasn't handled quickly, and it wasn't handled God's way. And at the end of it, you had mass casualties for the good guys of the story, and you had almost total extinction from the Benjaminites. God put this in here not for a history lesson, but for a practical lesson for you and me that we would see when we don't handle things right, disasters around the corner. Do you know who Billy Ray Cyrus is? Billy Ray Cyrus is a, a country singer who has a, uh, a little girl named Miley. Y'all know who Miley Cyrus is? You, you, you may or may not know this, but they were church-going people when she was little. I read an interview with Miley Cyrus. If you don't know her, by the way, she's like 11 on the scale of 10 on the scandal scale. I mean, she just went wild. I read an interview with her about six, seven years ago where she talked about her favorite Bible verse, Jesus Christ, her Lord. She's just gone completely crazy. Here's what her dad said. He said, I saw this happening. He said, people kept telling me, don't be her friend, be her parent, but I wouldn't listen. All this has happened in public. I'm not reeling it in. I wouldn't take responsibility as her dad and and and. Make her quit TV and just bring her back home. I I wouldn't do that. And we didn't stick close to God and his word. And he said, I will regret it the rest of my life. Isn't that terrible? But that's that's what we see in our lives too. You see, God lays out principles, and you may be too cool for school, and and, and, and you don't think it will happen to you, but, but it will. Principles are unchangeable. They, they, they don't bend for you or me. And that when we don't handle things God's way, we don't handle them properly, man, it, it, it can wreck our marriages. It can wreck our families. It, it can wreck our, our jobs, our careers, our future. You know, I'm going to go back to the Civil War as we, we wrap things up. What, what would have happened... When America was, was starting to be a country, if some of the leaders would have stepped up, took responsibility, and said, slavery is sin, it's wrong. We're going to put in the Constitution that it's wrong, it's sinful. We're going to do away with it before it gets any foothold. You know what? They didn't do it. Christians and churches didn't stand up much in the South for a long, long time about it. It needed to be handled privately by leaders who could have done something about it early on. But instead, where did it get handled? In the battlefield, in front of the whole world. And you go back and you look at the Word of God. It is so clear on the subject. Our country was changed. Millions of people impacted. We still feel a little bit of the repercussions of that war today. Because Things were not handled properly. So here's what I want to ask you this evening. I guess we'll go back to the first thing, responsibility. Will you tonight take responsibility for yourself? Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. When we stand in a moment, would you take responsibility? Would you come 
and surrender your heart to Jesus, you can do it. God's waiting for you. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. We'd love for you to do that. And one way you can do it, when we stand, you can slip out and come down here. We'll help you do that this evening. We'd love for you to. Christian, maybe this evening, you're just not where you need to be with God and you need to take responsibility. And you need to say, I'm going to do what I need to do to get myself back in line with Christ. Maybe there's some area in your life tonight God's got his finger on. And this message was for you so that you would make the right choices moving forward. Where you're standing at the altar, I want to challenge you to handle your life and handle things the way God would have you. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come.